Welcome to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We hope to encourage you with sermons, stories, and interviews that will challenge you to grow in your faith. Enjoy. Saul was one of them. Saul was a 
man that, that God put his spirit on. Just can't emphasize enough. And he's humble. He's humble. They're choosing the next king, casting lots. God, show us who the man is. Oh, it's Saul. Where's Saul? Anyone? That guy's huge. How's he hiding? He's hiding in the baggage. So I don't know about you, but my initial thought would be, okay, he's God's spirit, humble, that's good. But what kind of a leader is he going to be if the man's hiding? You know, that would be my next concern. Well, let's see what scripture says about that. First Samuel 11. So you go to first Samuel chapter 11, verse 6, it says, uh, oh, I need to back up. I need to back up. There's a, there's a precursor to this, right? There was a king. His name was Agag. He had been laying siege to a place called Jabesh Gilead. Man, I misspoke again. I'm sorry. His, his name was Nahash. Nahash of the Ammonites. He was laying siege to an Israelite town, the town of Jabesh Gilead. So there was a war that had taken place. The people in this Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead, man, they had lost it. They knew they were not going to win against Nahash the Ammonites. So, so they sent out messengers and said, hey, we surrender. We surrender. Just, just make us your slaves, but, but don't kill us all. Well, that wasn't good enough for Nahash. Nahash sent a message back and said, okay, you want to surrender? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to gouge out every right eye of every citizen in this town. So when Saul heard about that, there was a response. And that's what I want to read to you. 1 Samuel 11, verse 6. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. That is leadership, right? Isn't that leadership? I mean, leadership isn't always making everyone like you. A lot of times now, leaders are not necessarily the most liked people. But if you can get people to work together as one, if you can take people where they need to be, if you can work with them, that's what leadership is. And this, this humble, this, this spiritual, this young man Saul had it. And he, it, let, let's see what scripture says about the battle. Okay, verse 11. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And man, that would, that, that's a decisive victory there. That's strategic. This man, Saul, has intelligence, doesn't he? Right? We see his potential for intelligence. Now, you kind of put all these categories together. And, and, and I don't know about you, but okay, new year, new year. Time to think about what's ahead. Now, some people, some of you tell me this, right, Seth? I don't make New Year's resolutions. I, I just don't do that. And part of me is thinking, okay, so you resolved not to make New Year's resolutions. Thank you for telling me that. Like, I know some of us think that way, but whether or not you realize that you, you just kind of instinctively do. Maybe you don't formalize it. Maybe you don't make a big deal out of it. But as another year comes, you can't help but do a little bit of reflecting. And I bet you when you reflect... I bet you it's on some of these same kind of categories, right? The physical. Man, Seth, you changed over this past year. How, how did that go? Did you hit the gym as much as you wanted? Did you, right? Spiritually, I hope we're evaluating, right? I hope each year, each time we kind of pause and we think, have I grown? Am I getting closer to God like I need to be? When it comes to leadership, man, Seth, have I, have I led in, in these areas? My family, am I a good leader in my family? Am I leading in the area of my, my budget, my habits, my discipline, right? Right? And don't we want to be a little 
little bit smarter, please, right? Just a little bit. We, we set kind of these metrics, these goals. How do they go? How well do they progress? Well, Saul had goals. Saul had potential. When Saul staked his claim, when he secured his reign as king, he waged war against an enemy nation, the nation of the Philistines. This enemy nation would be the challenge for him throughout his entire reign, and God blessed him. God blessed him with many victories. Not only did he bless him with that, God blessed Saul with a godly, faithful warrior son. A man named Jonathan, who was a great fighter. And things went well for Saul until, until one day, it was in the midst of this war with the Philistines, something went wrong. And that's what we read in 1 Samuel 13. So chapter 13, starting at the end of the seventh verse, it says there that Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, Samuel the prophet, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offerings, Samuel arrived, and Saul went up to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines, the enemy, they were assembling at Midmash, I thought... Now the Philistines will come against me and Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You see, kings were not allowed to offer sacrifices. You know this, right? In the Old Testament, Old Covenant, who was it that was allowed to offer the sacrifices? That would be the priests. The priests of God were the ones that God chose to offer the sacrifices. It doesn't matter if the schedule isn't right, if you're, if you're worried about it. No, you, Saul, didn't have that right. He took it upon himself anyway. Why? Well, because my men, they were scattering. They were, they were running away. I didn't want to lose my army. This battle was coming. He felt the pressure, and he really messed up. The next major mistake we read in Saul's life is going to be in the 15th chapter, but I feel the need to kind of set this one up a little bit, because God's going to give a command, a command that a lot of people don't like God for. They're very frustrated that God would do things like this. God told Saul that there's this enemy nation called the Amalekites, and I want you to completely destroy them. That name that I said earlier, the name Agag, that he was, he was their king, right? I want you to destroy their king. All their population, even the animals, I want you to destroy all of them. Now that rubs people the wrong way. I can understand why it would. So there's some things that I think should be said about that. Number one, it's important to know God always has good reasons. Good reasons for saying the things that he does. For giving the commands that he gives. We don't always understand them, but we know God and we know he has good reasons. There are other, I mean, we're sheltered. We are so sheltered. We, we are in the safest, most prosperous position on the planet Earth, time, on planet, than we ever could be. So we just can't relate. In other parts of the world right now, people fear for their lives constantly. And in some situations, the only way you will ever be safe is if the potential killer gets killed. That's the reality that most people live in. We just don't live it. So it's kind of off our radar, hard to understand. God is the creator of life. 
Okay, we don't just have the authority to take life, but God does because he made it in the first place. There's a, there's, that's a very key significance there, okay? But still, God thought, well, women, children, animals. Okay, thing number one. This might be, might be an expression. In the ancient Near East, sometimes the way you referred to a decisive victory was to just spell out, I mean, obliterate all of them, kill women, children, all of them. Sometimes you would use this type of language as an illustration to have a decisive victory. Sometimes, okay? Some of you are sports people, right? And when your team wins, you say, oh, no, we didn't just win. We annihilated them. We wiped the floor with them. We crushed them. We just, you say all these extravagant things. And what do you mean by that? Oh, they literally were picking up the team and dragging them across them. No, you don't mean that. You mean you won decisively, right? Right? I hope you mean that. <laughs> right? You won decisively, all right? So sometimes that same type of expression is used. A good example of this might be the book of Joshua, okay? In the book of Joshua, Joshua is given commands by God to destroy the Canaanites. Wipe all of them out. Leave none alive. Utterly destroy them. And then a little bit later, God gives instructions for how the Canaanites who are living among them should be treated and how you should help them live. And it's like, wait, the people that you just said totally and utterly destroyed, now you're telling me how they should live among you and how that should work, okay? Makes it seem like... Maybe that was a bit of an expression. Maybe that was a, a decisive victory, okay? That's a possibility, but not always. And here, I don't 100% know, but I'm thinking it sure sounds like complete and utter destruction. So, so why? Number one. I just said number one. I guess that'd be number two. Anyway, sorry. You could join Israel if you wanted to. A lot of times we think, oh, these poor people, they, God just said to kill them, and they didn't know, and, and that's that, and so they just died. No, no, it's not that. It's not just that. God's people were always very inclusive to, hey, if you want to join God, if you want to join us, if you want to, you can. You can come out of your nation, and you can choose to follow who you know is the one true God instead of choosing to follow these idols that you've chosen, Right? A lot of these people didn't choose that. They deliberately rejected that, okay? Secondly, children. What happens when a child dies? When a child dies, they go to paradise. They get to be with God in heaven. There's even a case of this in Scripture where we see the, the wicked king Jeroboam, his whole house is going to be wiped out, but God says, hey, there's one person, there's one baby in your family line that's actually, I see some potential, I see some good in this one child. So you know what I'm going to do for this one child? I'm going to allow him to die so that he will not have to live and grow up under these terrible circumstances. That's God's call. He's the author of life. So sometimes it's despair that they get to go straight to heaven, straight to paradise to be with God in heaven, right? But animals... Not pleasant to talk about on a Sunday morning, but many of these nations had a lot of bad sexual practices, sexual practices that included the animals, so therefore diseases were running rampant. And there's no other way you have to wipe it out at the source, okay? So, so God, God told Saul, I want you to, this is what I say, destroy the Amalekites. What does Saul do? 
1 Samuel 15, verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Saul! Why so stupid? What are you doing? You, you killed the people, you saved some of the animals. What were you? That's not what God told you to do. Well, to cut him a little bit of slack, and not much, but to cut him a little bit of slack, you know why? Saul wanted to explain later why he spared some of these animals. He was thinking to himself, you know what? These animals look great. I can offer them as a sacrifice to God. I can, I can kill them as a sacrifice. So they're going to be killed anyway, right? God said that. Well, now the king, he kind of ignored that part, the king part, right? But the animals were like, well, I won't kill them now. I'll kill them in a sacrifice a little bit later. And I'm still kind of obeying God. Is that good enough? No. That's not, that's not what God said. Samuel the prophet confronts Saul, and after a little bit of back and forth, Saul really admits what was going on. He really admits why he disobeyed God, did not do what he said. Here's what, here's what he says. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Saul was afraid of his own men. Saul cared more about what people around him thought than what God thought. Hmm. It's from this point that Saul's life really starts to spiral out of control. God allows an evil spirit to, to torment him. God chooses another man. He anoints a man named David, a man after his own heart, to be king in Saul's place. And Saul becomes obsessed with trying to kill David. So that he can save his own kingship. But you know what? Saul never could. In the end, Saul gets killed. And, and, and an insult to injury, Saul isn't just killed. He is killed by an Amalekite. One of the very people that he was told earlier to totally destroy. Well, he didn't. And he gets killed by one. Saul teaches us a very, very valuable lesson. It's not how you start so much that matters. It's how you finish. Why didn't Saul finish well? I mean, he had all the potential in the world, right? He had the physical, the spiritual leadership, he had the intelligence, he had it all. But if you were to pinpoint a reason, this is the best I can do. If I were to really pinpoint a reason why Saul had all this potential in the world and still didn't finish strong, it's because he cared too much about other people instead of God. You and I? About us? Do we perhaps care more about what people think than what God thinks? As we reflect on, okay, another year, another time to evaluate, another plans coming ahead. What are your plans? What are your thoughts? What are you going to do with that year? It's loaded with potential, right? Sky's the limit, all sorts of things we can do. But as we start to make plans, I gotta ask, I gotta wonder, are your plans God's plans? Is your perspective, I think God wants this, so I'm going to work on this this year. Or is it a, oh yeah, everyone knows you should do 
do that. Of course, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I want to, so I'm going to. Where's the priority in our plans? Do they look like someone who fears God or people? In the midst of Saul's spiral, there are some things, a couple of things that happen that really don't fit well with people's religious paradigm. It's very easy to like, oh, let's not look at those scriptures because that's just kind of strange and let's ignore it. I don't want to do that with you because I think God, every time there's an anomaly, every time there's something strange, God's going to teach you something about himself. He's going to teach you something about you that you need to learn. So I want you to hear a couple of things that happened before, before Saul passed away. It says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, the next day an evil spirit from God. Yes, you, you heard that right. An evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. So God allows an evil spirit to come and torment Saul. And what's the result? Saul is in his house prophesying. Prophesying. That's what prophets do, speaking on behalf of God. Saul is Prophesied, but, but evil spirit disobey. Okay, this is not an isolated instance. It happens again. First Samuel nineteen, verse twenty-two. Or sorry, verse twenty-three, twenty-four. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments. And he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? You know what Saul was doing? Saul was on a mission to go kill David. He was trying to kill the man that God chose to be king. In other words, he was deliberately disobeying God. In the act of disobeying God. And what does God do? Does God say, oh, I'm just going to punish you, I'm just going to, no. God sends us, maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe the Spirit of God, or maybe another, okay? But God sends the Spirit, His Spirit, and Saul begins to prophesy. Speak on behalf of God. It says he's lying there naked. I don't know that means completely naked. It might just be with, without his kingly outer garments, all right? But either way, it's a disgrace and it gets your attention, right? That's not normal. What do you do with that? I'm pretty confident 99% of Christians do. Let's just ignore that part. Let's just move on, right? Let's not do that. God's showing us something incredibly important here. Just because God is working miraculously through you does not mean you're obeying. Just because signs accompany you and even gifts of the Holy Spirit seem to run rampant in your life does not mean that God's happy with you. I like the way Jesus says this. It's, he says it very clearly, and I bet some of you know these verses. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Words of Jesus. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus doesn't say they were fake. Jesus doesn't say that these were fake miracles, they weren't really doing it, they were just pretending. No, 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 as far as we know, they were really doing this stuff, all right? They're performing miracles, they're driving out demons, they're, they're prophesying, they're doing these things. And what is Jesus going to say to them? I don't, not just I don't, I never knew you. So how do you know? How, how am I supposed to know that God's pleased with me? How am I supposed to know that I'm doing what he wants me to do if even the signs aren't necessarily showing me if I'm right or not, right? How am I supposed to know that my life in this new year, this 2024, is truly on the right path? Well, I would say take it from Saul. Take it from Saul. It's not because of what people say about you. It's not because of the miracles that God seems to be doing in your life. It's not because you feel good about yourself. The only foolproof way to know that you're growing in Jesus is because God's word, the Bible, says you are. So as we come to these tables, the first time this year for many of us, and we remember what Jesus did for us. I want to ask us to do something for him. I want to ask us to do something in 2024 that 90 plus percent of Americans will not do. I want to challenge you to read the entire New Testament. New Testament part of the Bible. Now that might sound daunting, that might sound big, but listen, the New Testament, the New Testament has 260 chapters in it. So you do the math on that, you can read five chapters a week. In other words, you can read a chapter a day and then take off weekends, and you will still read the entire New Testament in a year. 90% of Americans will not do it. I'm going to throw a QR code up just in case, because I don't know if, if we have Bibles here, if you want to take one, of course, but you can download the Bible app on your phone, you can get voices to read it to you, even while you're driving or whatever, you can just play it with speakers. It is easier now than ever. I'm going to recommend, if you haven't started, the, the NIV, New International Version, is a nice, simple, understandable version that I use all the time. Uh, that kind of version is going to be easy to understand. Read through the New Testament. Make it your commitment to do that this year. During COVID, I found out, 26 million Americans quit reading their Bible. 26 million quit reading their Bible. So the stats were about 14%. About 14% of Americans read the Bible. Then it went down to 10% during COVID. Is it because maybe during COVID we just didn't have enough free time? Certainly not that. It's because when things get tough, you kind of strip back to the most essential, the most dependent thing in your life. Only the things that matter most are what you belong to. And unfortunately for a lot of us, that's not God. That's not God's word. But I'm here to tell you, just like Jesus says, if you try to grab onto anything else, it's like sand. This year, let's hold on to God's word. Will you read the New Testament this year? I want you to.
you to think about that. I want you to pray about that as we remember what Jesus did by offering himself on the cross so that everyone in the world can be forgiven. Anyone who wants to come to him. Pray and reflect when you're ready. Come to one of the tables around the auditorium. Receive the Lord's heart. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We pray you are encouraged and blessed. And until next time, grace and peace to you.